modern vision for success. It is symbolized by the spirit of the bull. Like the proud people of Houston, the bull stands for strength, power, and independence. From the small towns to the big cities, these qualities are a Texas tradition, just like the game of football. The city of Houston, with its eyes on the future, is once again set to charge through the National Football League. I'm proud to be a Houstonian. And I'm proud to be a Texan. And so with great pride and anticipation, I introduce to you your Houston Texans. Welcome back to another episode of Offstage. I am your gracious host, Chris Schnabel, and we have a huge, 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 let me go closer, huge, huge, huge guest today. Joining us on this episode of Offstage is Jamie Roots, the president of the Houston Texans. Yes, you heard that right. The president of the Houston Texans is joining Offstage today. He's going to talk about inside the sports industry. He's going to talk about the business side of the NFL and a lot of great insight. If you're someone like me who's doing their master's in sports management, I'm doing it in sports administration, but you you get what I'm saying. This is big. This is big time. This is big time. Big time. We're in the Isaac studio because this is big time. Okay. This is big time things. So stay right here because we have Jamie Roots coming up right now and it's a lot of great information. You do not want to miss this. This is Offstage Radio on Isaac. Coming right back. The Cowboys have not had a winning record in four years, but they should this season. The Texans have already made out their Christmas list, and wish number one is a win over the hated Cowboys. For the first time in six long years, the NFL is back in Houston. Jermaine Lewis. 30. You don't enjoy this moment very long, but boy, it's a great moment to have. They will tonight, pal. I can assure you of that. An incredible win for the Texans. A staggering loss for the Dallas Cowboys. David Carr gave the ball to the official. He says, no, can I have that back, please? What a game. I mean, what a was, night for Houston, guys. It really was. It was a great game to watch and do. The final score. The Texans win their opener 19-10 over Dallas. Welcome back. Offstage Radio. We have a great guest with us today, Jamie Roots. He's the president of the Houston Texans, and he has a book called The Game Plan Out right now. How, the winning game plan out right now. Jamie, how's it going? I'm doing good, Chris. I feel like I'm on stage, not off stage. Yeah, well, so we call it Offstage because this is based off a documentary series that followed bands before they got on stage. 
So what we try to do with the interviews is get a little behind the scenes look at people and see how how the, the system works, how it goes. You know, we see where you are on the outside, but what is going on behind the scenes that makes you the in the position you are today? So that's cool. what we're going to awesome. hope to get out of this. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. So you've been with the Texans forever, since the beginning, since the very beginning, over 20 years. But I do have a question before we get into the Texans. They weren't around when you were growing up. So what team did you root for before the, did you root for the Oilers or was there a different team that you rooted for before you became a Texans fan, obviously? Well, that's a great question. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was always an Atlanta Falcons fan, uh, really. And, and it's kind of what is great about sports. My dad and I couldn't really talk about anything, but we could connect over the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, he took me to that first football game and I fell in love with it and, uh, so here I am. And actually, interestingly, I think that was the first first game of Earl Campbell's career. Uh, so it was the Falcons and the Oilers. So when the Fal- if the Falcons come to town, are you like, do you get a little more giddy? Because it's like, yeah, obviously you're a Texans fan now, but, you know, the Falcons probably still hold a place in your heart, I'd have to imagine. Well, when when I was a kid, the Falcons were lovable losers, right? As, as were the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> and both franchises have really um, – you know, improved since I was a kid. So it's totally different team. Um, So it doesn't really actually, you know, you play them so, uh, so rarely, it's really hard to get a lot of energy. Uh, We're more focused on the division, of course, with uh, Indianapolis and and Jacksonville and Tennessee. So you played soccer though, growing up and you played in college and stuff. And then you actually worked as a GM for the major league soccer. So how did you make that transition from one sort of football to the football you're in now? Well, actually, it was it was pretty easy. Um, and the fact that I'd spent five years with uh, Lamar Hunt as my boss, the, the founder of the American Football League, Lamar was the owner of the Columbus Columbus crew, him and his family. And so and he spent a lot of time in Columbus, Ohio. I think people would be surprised to know that, given that he had the NFL team to deal with. But he, he loved the Columbus crew. He loved the city of Columbus. I think it uh, reminded him of his experience when he took the Dallas Texans to Kansas City, a market that wasn't familiar with professional sports, and how magical that that can be. And, and so this was his chance to to relive those, uh, you know, those memories. Um, and so as I transitioned into uh, the NFL, there, there's way more similarities than there are differences. I, I kind of put it to people this way, that that my mom used to say when I was a kid that you're, you know, trying to get a uh, a silk purse out of a sow's ear. And that's, that's the soccer experience. I and mean, we were a new league, a new team. You were just desperate to get anybody to pay attention to you. And when you're in the NFL, you've already got a silk purse. The challenge <laughs> is, can you fill it more than, you know, higher than anybody else has ever filled it? So everyone will take your call. It is no problem getting meetings. The question is, can you set the, you know, set the standard high enough that you can become a revenue revenue leader within the league. Fortunately, we got out of the blocks really strong. We remain at the top of the National Football League after 20 years. People would be surprised to know that, but (laughs) the top of the business metrics, and that's really the foundation of the book that I wrote. How does that happen? Because you win and you lose, and it's really just this kind of arbitrary deal. The way the NFL is set up, everybody's supposed to go 500. If 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 you go nine and seven, that's a monumental achievement. Um, and so how do you decouple those two things and have a really strong business, uh, despite the fact that you can win some and you can lose some. 
and for people that don't know that the Texans rank 10th in the NFL on the Forbes list. So they're, they really are right up there and their, their business plan obviously works because they're still bringing in money every year and being around for 20 years. You were around for the very, very beginning, like before the team took the field, you helped create the Texans. Not a lot of people get to do that. I get to, you know, I get to do that on Madden, but I don't really get to do it in real life. So what was the feeling of creating an actual football team? Well, it was my second time. So, and when I was in Columbus, I was the first employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came to Houston, I may have been the sixth or seventh employee. And then we slowly built out the organization. It was thrilling. It was, it was exhausting, but it was thrilling. And, uh, you know, everybody's got to know their strengths and their weaknesses. Uh, if there's one thing that I am, there's a lot of things I'm not. But if there's one thing that I am is creative. And you liken it to, I liken it to a... Uh, a sculptor, they say great sculptors see a piece of rock, but they don't see the rock. They see the piece that they're going to create. And all they need to do is remove the excess. That's the same way that I look at organizations from the beginning. I can see what it's going to be. It's just a matter of removing, well, I guess, piecing together all the parts that will make it the vision that, uh, that I saw, I see from the beginning. When, when, Going really quick to the Texans, what were some specific roles you played when did, did you help with like the branding of the actual team, like logo and stuff like that? Or were you more on the business side with sponsors? Like what were some specific roles you played when creating the team? Yeah. So uh, when we started, we, there was a, a guy, Steve Patterson, and uh, y'all are out there on the, you know, in the Northwest and we <laughs> know the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. Steve was the president of the Trailblazers at one point in time. So uh, Steve is the one who brought me in. Uh, We were a little stumbly out of the blocks the first month or two, and particularly relative to our stadium project. And and Steve Steve knew everybody in town, and he knew everybody involved with the stadium project. And so it got to be where it it was overwhelming. He couldn't do everything. And so Bob McNair, who was our chairman, called both of us up to his office. And he said, look, I want to move faster than we're moving. We, you know, I, I paid $750 million. Sounds like a bargain now, but at the time, <laughs> nobody had ever paid that much for a, for a franchise. So I paid $750 million and I got to make sure this goes right. So Steve, you're going to do the stadium and Jamie, you're going to do the business. And so I actually oversaw all of it, uh, the, all of the business side. Charlie Casserly was my partner. Charlie was our general manager at the time. And so Charlie built out the football operation I built out the business operations. So yes, all of the revenue streams, uh, the branding, the identity package, the name, the events that we did, suites and broadcasting and naming rights. And I did all those things. What were some other, if you can remember, what were some other names that they were thinking of going with other than the Texans? Like, did they think maybe try to go back to the Oilers? Were there something else that some people liked that just didn't fit? Like, what were some names that could have been there? Yeah, so that's, that's a good question. So we, and we had a name the team contest. We put out there, uh, well, we had them submit names and then did a little bit of research to see objectively how do people feel about the names. So the others were the, that, I, that we listed in that, uh, and, and we created identity packages for these two uh, and then compared it to the Texans. But it was the, uh, the Stallions, the Bobcats, the Wildcatters, the Apollos, and the Texans, yeah, there were five. So those were the, the five names. Um, the name Texans, 
resonated from the beginning. I'll tell you, when I first when I first joined the Texans, I came in and it was it was rodeo weekend, and you probably doesn't mean anything to you, but the Houston <laughs> Livestock Show and Rodeo brings in like two and a half million people a year, and and they have some of the finest entertainment on the planet. I mean, big time acts in addition to the rodeo activities, mm -hmm. the agriculture and the uh, and the livestock. So um, so I'm that first weekend on there and I'm and I'm sitting in my corporate apartment and I'm watching TV and I'm just like, this place is crazy. Every advertisement is about Texas. The Ford is about Texas. The Coca-Cola one's about Texas. I'd never lived in a place where all of the advertising and promotion was customized for Texas. It's always like, it's a no brainer. It's gotta be called the Texans. The next question is how do you represent a Texan? If I say that we're the Bobcats, it's easy. Yeah. If I say we're the Stallions, it's gonna be a horse. How do you represent a Texan? And we had such a hard time in our design and our focus group process until I, I sat down with uh, Bob McNair and I said, Bob, you know, I know we have this date to launch the logo and the name. I'm, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know that we're gonna be able to hit that. And he said, well, how, how are you going about it? And I said, well, we do these focus groups. I've got designers and they're coming up with logo concepts and we're presenting them in the focus groups. We love the name Texans, but everybody hates all the, the whatever identity we come up with. He said, well, how, how about if I come to one of those focus groups? And I said, sure, we got one at the end of the week. So he came and he's sitting there back behind the glass. And it was the first time we ever showed a bull as a representation of a Texan. And so the, uh, the artist, or the, the moderator sheepishly, because he, uh, he'd been getting beaten up at every one of these sessions. So he says, the name's Texans. So let me show you what the identity would be. Everybody around the table just goes, oh, that's perfect. That is exactly what it should be. And Bob turns to me and he says, this logo stuff is not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> I got it on the first try. What are you talking about? Exactly, exactly. But I mean, it was the interesting thing was, you know, you've got University of Texas. This is how desperate we had gotten. University of Texas and you've got Texas A&M and they're arch rivals. So it was basically a longhorn steer in maroon and white. <laughs> so we tried to appeal to everyone. But Get eventually we in. got to the red, white, and blue and the uh, state flag of Texas and, um, you know, with the star in the eye and the star has, it's a five-pointed star and each of the points has a different meaning of what it means to be a Texan. It's pride, courage, strength, tradition, and independence. And the colors each have a specific Pantone and a, and a unique name to them. The red is battle red, the white is liberty white, and the blue is deep steel blue. And interesting how Liberty White came around. So we were wrapping up all of our logo stuff and looking at uniforms. And so Mr. McNair asked me to come up to Saratoga Springs where his horse was running and do, uh, do a presentation of the design boards and, and, the, and the uniforms and everything. And so we get there and this is the kind of guy he was. He was wonderful, just a wonderful man. So we get to his house, beautiful house, right down the street from the historic racetrack that like, Two, block, two houses away. And uh, we come in, he goes, uh, we start to do our presentation out on the porch. And his wife, Janice says, uh, uh, Robert, she called him Robert. Uh, Robert, uh, the horses are about to run. We need to get over there. 
He says, hey, you guys going to want to go watch some horse racing? We're like, sure. We were about a quarter of the way through our presentation. So we go over, we watch the horses, then we come back. And he says, Jamie, how, how about the colors? What have you guys done there? I said, Bob, I, this is special. You're going to love this. And I said, the blue is not just any blue. It's deep steel blue. He says, oh, I like that. I said, the red is not just red. It's battle red. Ooh. I said, I kind of a pregnant pause. He says, what about white? I said, well, Bob's white is just the space in between. We can't give white a name. He said, we're giving white a name. <laughs> I said, what's your idea? He said, we're going to call it Liberty White. That's like, wow, that's really good. And he says, Liberty, come here. His little black dog comes running around. And he says, Liberty boy, you're going to be famous. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. It's funny because um, it's how I know Liberty White, too, because of the dog. I was like, oh, you've got to say the dog, isn't he? Famous dog. I do have – I, I, I want to go back to the name really quick. So, obviously, with the Texans, you can't be Texas. If it was a different name, would you have represented all of Texas? Were you always going to be representing the city of Houston? Like, did you always want to be the Houston blank? Or when they were first creating the name, was it – were they like, maybe we should be the Texas Stallions or the Texas Apollos? Was it always supposed to be the Houston Apollos, Houston Texans? Yeah, we, we'd always, we all, I mean, we're very proud of this city, love this city. Um, and we think we've done a lot to elevate the image of the city of Houston on a national and international uh, scale. And, and, and that's why Bob went out and got the team. I mean, he, he made plenty of money. He didn't need to work anymore. He sold his company to, to Enron for a billion dollars. He wanted to make a contribution to the community. And so it was important that the name Houston was in there. But when people, I mean, people are Houstonians, but they think more of themselves as Texans. And so that's, that was really the, the magic of the name Texans. Gotcha. I was going to say with the Texans, you can't be the Texas Texans. That would just be, that'd be like the angels being the, the angels, angels of Anaheim, which they are. Right. Well, and you know, you <laughs> see, they, they, they've gone back to what the Anima, Anaheim or LA or. They're, well, they're, they're the LA, the LA angels of Anaheim, but Los Angeles is the angels. So the team is the, the angels, angels of Anaheim. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, well, they used to be the California twice. angels, right? California Angels and the Anaheim Angels, they just they don't know their location just it's hard when you're competing with the Dodgers, though. I mean, the Dodgers are a pretty well-known team. When well, you we had a we had a similar situation. I mean, you can can you think of a of a franchise that's more storied than the Dallas Cowboys? It's you know? hard, it's hard to. And they're always they're always up there, one of the top valued, if not the top valued teams in in all of sports. And obviously every year. You know, Dallas, Dallas is always in the running for the playoffs, whether they're good or not, because people just know it's the Dallas Cowboys. So, yeah, I could yeah. see that as well. That's why I was that's why I had the question of should we try to represent all of Texas or just Houston? Because well, we are, we, Dallas we, is representative of what, Texas. What are the, I don't remember who made this comment, but they, they said, you know, Dallas, Dallas can be America's team. We just want to be Texas team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that again, that's why I was like, oh, you know, if you went Texas blank, you know, you could think of Dallas as a Texas team, but you uh, would be the Texas team. But the Houston Texans is just that that flows so well. I, I think I, it flows much better than like the Stallions or Apollos, honestly, even Agreed. with Houston or Texas. Yeah, the hard part so was better. coming with that, uh, that identity. The easy part. I mean, if you if, if you were mailing it in, you would have gone with one of those easy ones. But we took the hard route, which is uh, which is really kind of a hallmark of the organization. Bob liked to say, you know, you can't go wrong by doing what's right. 
um, I'd put it as uh, the, the, the right thing and the hard thing are usually the same thing. So what were some of the like uh, greatest challenges faced when, when starting up this team? Like what were some of the hardest things to overcome? Was it uh, is it hard to get sponsorships? I mean, you're a brand new team. You don't know how the market's going to go. Like what was some of the hardest, uh, hardest parts? I, I wouldn't say it was hard. It was, I mean, it was a challenge and you, you, you know, I've always embraced that life is challenge, right? There's, there's always going to be challenges. Uh, the only place that people don't have challenges is in a graveyard, you know, yeah. uh, because they're done. So, but the, uh, the challenge was resetting the expectations in the marketplace because the Oilers, I mean, the Oilers were a great, I loved watching the Oilers, love you blue. It was, but as from a business perspective, they just, they operated in a, you know, in a, in a kind of an old school approach and the sporting world has evolved. And so we needed to reset the expectations that, and, and we did our meetings with sponsors and suite holders and, and the naming rights partner and everybody we got involved with. The first conversation was not about business, not about what we're going to do together. It was who are we going to be and what are our expectations? The Oilers were great. We're going to be something completely different because we knew we had to operate at the highest level in order to generate a return on that $750 million. So our naming rights deal was the largest in history and that record stood for 10 years. We uh, had the largest radio deal in history uh, with uh, uh, in the NFL history and a 10 year deal. Uh, television was, I mean, these were all the blue chip partners, all the corporate partners were, you know, exceptional. And so we got off to a great start. And I've always believed, particularly in launching a sports team, maybe any business, you never get a second chance at a first impression. So we had 30 months. We knew after 30 months, we had to be at the highest, highest level. And then it's incumbent upon us to defend it, to protect it, to deliver upon the expectations that we had created in the marketplace. And, and fortunately, we've been able to do that for the last two decades. And I got I got a question about uh, naming rights, because I I'm that's way out of my league. But when you're doing naming rights, is it just like a complete bidding war where people like companies come in, they give you a presentation and then you are, are you like thinking like what would sound good as our stadium name as well? Does two factors or is it really just whoever can deliver the most on um, like money or whatever, whatever compensation they can give? Yeah, so it's um, uh, it depends. It depends on the, on the market and the current environment. It uh, depends on the league. Um, it, it really depends. The, uh, the, way ours, the way we approached it is we had kind of a, a minimum threshold that we wanted to hit that would set us apart, that would really, it would really break through. It was the first deal we did and wanted to you know, set the expectation that mm -hmm. this is going to be something completely different than what you've ever seen before. And so revenue was important, a minimum threshold, but we also wanted a, a relationship, a, a, a major player in the Houston area, somebody that, you know, that had great strength and would, you know, you're doing a 30 year deal and you want to make sure they're in business for all <laughs> 30 years. So, and then uh, the, the, so the relationship was really important. And then what I would call reach or footprint, you know, how interested are they in working with us to build our brand, which in turn uh, generates value for them. 
uh, that to help you know deliver upon our imperatives, which is win championships, create memorable experiences, and do great things for Houston. And then we have created, rather than going in as you normally do for a sponsorship deal, you'll normally come in and say, okay, here's who we are. Who are you? What are you trying to get accomplished? Here's some of the things we can do. Does that look good? Here's the price. Great. We're done. We identified a considered set of, of uh, partners, visited with them, figured out who we thought was most likely to be a good match for us. We got, went down to two and we allowed them to bid. So they create, we said, here's the minimum standard and here is all of the rights and benefits that could be available to you, depending on how much you want to invest. Then we went back and forth. It's not normally done this way, but mm -hmm. it, it did deliver an exceptional result. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so at the end, we wound up with Reliant Energy that has now become NRG and they've been a terrific partner. So you definitely, you obviously deal with a bunch of, um, you know, sales marketing, stuff like that. How much do you do more football operations on a day-to-day -day basis? Do you really get into that? Is that more someone else's department? Like how much do you deal with that in comparison to the business side? I would say there's, there's, there's kind of a, everybody's got their own model, but we are kind of a three headed monster, if you will. So three, three heads that uh, report to the owner, uh, I do all the business functions. Uh, so basically they've made it easy on me. If you, if you envision a football field, they draw lines on it. So if it happens within those lines, I don't do it. Okay. If it's outside of those lines, I do do it. So there's, there's me, there's the general manager to, mm -hmm. and just, this is simplistic, but who's responsible for the talent, the personnel and all the support activities around the team the training, training room, the, uh, the cafeteria, nutritional program, strength training, equipment room, things of that nature, video, uh, the scouting, of course. And then you've got the head coach. And the head coach, his job is to win on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so those are the three areas. I, we do interface with each other. There is a level of overlap. But I, I don't tell them how to, who to pick and what plays to run. And they don't tell me how to sell tickets. <laughs> I mean, that's how to be the best way. You got to delegate sometimes. You, it, you take it all on at once. Things can get lost or overlapped or you kind of got to delegate it to other people. So I, I get that. We're talking this about this is different than, than a normal business. You know, as the president of the team, this is more like a, uh, a pharmaceutical company. So you think in terms of a pharmaceutical company, you have somebody that is running the business. But then you've got all these mad scientists over there trying to create the next breakthrough drug. And they're, they're very different. This is a very creative process over here um, in, in terms of imagining drugs, scientific, same thing with football. That's a very different skill set than running an organization. Yeah. Um, what kind of stuff did you have to overcome to get into the position you are today? Obviously, you took a, a different path than most people that are going to be president of a football team. You started in a completely different sport, and then you came over to this. So what are some things you had to overcome, and what was that path or your journey like? I'll tell you, that the hardest part was, was not preparing. And, and the way it worked, it's kind of like the last chapter was great, but the chapters in between were kind of rough uh, because I, I didn't. I'm glad I didn't study sports in college. A lot of kids do that now, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad that I got a traditional business training. I'm glad I went back and got my MBA. 
but the route that I took did not connect me naturally with folks in the sports business. I had to go out and do that on my own. In fact, when I left IBM, I drove across the country doing informational interviews with anybody who would visit with me in the sports business. I would just call them up and say, like this one, the business head with the Kansas City Chiefs who actually facilitated my first opportunity in sports, I called him and I said, Mr. Connolly, we have some mutual friends. And they said, you know, they come and watch a Chiefs game with you every year. Uh, I was wondering if I could uh, come by uh, and, and visit with you someday. He goes, uh, well, when, when can you come? I said, well, when are you available? <laughs> so I just timed my drive to be there when he would be available. We spend 30 minutes together. But that was the hardest part was overcoming the fact that I was not a natural fit for the sports business. On the flip side, it allowed me to start at a much higher level. I started, I was an entry level president and general manager. Okay. That doesn't normally happen. Sounds nice. Yeah, at the age of 29. Yeah, sounds uh, real nice. And, and so that, that really helped me, but um, it, it was, it was hard. It was emotional. I remember there were nights when I was in Procter and Gamble. I mean, I had multiple sleepless nights just because I knew I wasn't in the right place. I knew this wasn't a fit for me. Um, it's a great company, lots of great people, but it just was not right for me. So you, you said you got your MBA. If someone like, let's use me for example, that's in grad school now, would you uh, suggest them to go get their MBAs well if they're trying to get into a president or GM role in, for a team? Well, a GM role would be different. I mean, you can have an MBA, you can have a law background. Probably if you're going to be a GM, it'd be more helpful to have a law degree than it would be to have an MBA because you're dealing so much with contracts. Mm -hmm. So the contracts are fairly standard. They're not that difficult. Uh, don't tell my legal counsel. I said, <laughs> so, um, but the, uh, if really, if you're going to be a GM, the, the quickest route is through either scouting or football operations and, and, and work your way up. And you probably the challenge in the NFL to move up, you typically have to move out. So people are moving around a lot in order to get up the ladder because folks don't normally leave their position up above you. Um, if you want to be uh, on the business side as a president, um, I do believe an MBA would be a great idea. Um, it's been you know invaluable to me. There's so many lessons that I reflect upon. Our, uh, at the time I spent at Procter & Gamble was great. The strategic planning process that we used at the Texans is the same way we did strategic planning for cheer laundry detergent when, uh, when I was at Procter & Gamble. And so I think it really prepares you much more quickly than on the job training would. Uh, but it all depends on, you know, what you want for your life. I mean, for me, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a grueling grind over a number of years in order to, to make it happen. Um, so uh, there are a lot of different ways to get there. If you were to hire somebody to become a part of the Texans, what would be some ideal characteristics you're looking for in that candidate? Yeah, so there's three things that we're looking for, and we call them the non-negotiable talents. The good news for anybody out there who wants to work for us, these talents are available to everybody. Uh, <laughs> everyone has them, or they have the potential to have them. Number one is to have a great work ethic. This isn't that complicated. It just takes a ton of time. You got to be all in. You have to be passionate. You got you to work your tail off. Number two is to have a winning attitude, positive, optimistic, team-oriented. And then number three 
is you have to have a desire to operate consistently with our values. We've got a very strong culture. We have a way of doing things and you can't break those rules. You can only break yourself against them. It's about being innovative, being memorable, being passionate, accountable, courageous, team first. Those six things are essential. And if you've got those three things, you can be very successful here. And we've got a couple more minutes here talking about Jamie Roots. Uh, tell us a little bit about the winning game plan, your book that you released. Yeah, back there, right? So, yeah, right uh, yeah so nice to have the visual, right? So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, a book about, about leadership. It's not about sports. Now, all the stories come from a sporting context because that's, that's my experience. You know, that's what I've done. Um, and so I just try, I've, I've got kind of a unique approach. It's a, it's a homegrown approach uh, built from mentors, from reading books, from graduate school experience, undergraduate experience, playing sports, uh, and of course, all the time that I've spent here. And I felt like I was full, right? I, I had a full bucket and it was time to pour that out to allow others to learn from it. Because I do believe there are a number of really important concepts in here some of them, you know, are, are pretty uh, paradigm shifting, you know, uh, and you know, I, I'm teaching a leadership class at uh, the University of Houston, and we had our introduction a week ago, and I told him, I said, guys, look, here's the deal. You're, you're much more likely to, you're much more likely to see me reading the Wall Street Journal versus Sports Illustrated or watching Squawk Box rather than watching ESPN. So these, these, these are business principles. They are. They would. They work in uh, uh, in in a sports team. They would work in a steel mill, wherever. It's just how do you become a great leader? And if you had to give advice to somebody that's trying to break into the sports industry, what advice would you give that person? Run. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just check your heart. Uh, number one is check your heart. Make sure you really, really want it, because unless you really, really want it it's probably not going to work. It, it's so difficult to make your way into this business at a place that is, you know, reasonably, you know, compensate you reasonably. Uh, there are a lot of lower level, like ticket sales jobs and all of that. And, and that's great, but uh, you really want to be, you want to, you want to be at a higher level. Uh, and those jobs are very hard to get. And, and it, it often requires you to relocate. I mean, if you're, if you're a salesman, I mean, you can sell in lots of different industries. There's jobs everywhere. But if you want to be in sports, particularly if you pick up one sport, uh, just make sure you're ready, uh, ready for it. Number two is get experience. I don't care whether you get paid or not. Go and do it. Because when you walk in and you've never had any experience in sports, I don't have any idea whether you really love this or not. I know you love sports, but do you love what we do day to day? Do you love the job? Uh, Tom Peters said, if you're going to, if you're going to be a cobbler, you better love leather, right? So you need to know that you can. And, and so if you spent summers working for a sports team or worked in the athletic department, I know that you get it. I know that, you know, that you're not going to hang out with JJ Watt, that you're going to be working your tail off every day. You're going to be schlepping bags of stuff. You're going to be in some, you know, cavernous uh, storage bin you know, and, and until you paid your dues and, and you make your way up. Jamie Roots dropping some, uh, some knowledge on us trying to get in there. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Great to be with you. Yeah, we'll be right back.
if you're trying to get into the sports industry, again, like I am, my producers are, that interview was something you want to listen to multiple times. And of course you get to hear my fantastic voice, but in reality, you want to hear what he said because he had some amazing insight for anybody trying to get into the sports industry. So go ahead and replay that thing. Go ahead and listen back, listen to some great points, take notes, whatever you want to do. Thank you for joining us. If you want to try to follow us, um, you can go to Instagram. It's off.stage.radio. Twitter, we are offstage radio. Facebook, we are offstage radio. You can also go to Schnabel Productions. That's S-C-H-N-A-B-E-L productions.com slash offstage radio. And you can listen to all our past podcasts. You can listen to all the future podcasts. You can subscribe. You can like, you can follow. Oh, you know, all those shameless plugs you see at the end of the YouTube videos. Actually, I think they're at the beginning usually. You can do that for us if you'd like. Or you can just listen. We actually just started putting the podcast on Instagram itself which is something we haven't really done before. So once you go on Instagram, just go to our page. Boom, you can listen to, you can watch. You can watch the last episode. The technology's crazy, technology's crazy. But we'd like to thank Jamie Roots for coming on. Definitely go check him out, um, check out his book. And thank you for joining Offstage. Thank you for coming back another week. We appreciate you being here. We hope to see you next week. See you later, Offstage, yeah.